Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Third-party candidates, polls, and kids. This election has raised a lot of questions. You're asking, we're answering in this first episode of Season 2 of Pantsuit Politics. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. So we wanted to kick this episode off by giving a little intro to new listeners as we're sort of kicking off a new season of Pantsuit Politics. We are sorority sisters from Kentucky. We met at Transylvania University. We have how many kids, Beth, between us? Five kids between us. Last time I checked. I I think all my three are still here. Three boys. I have three boys. I have two girls. All of our kids are under the age of seven. We both have law degrees. And we have a friendship that transcends party lines. So we started Pantsuit Politics because we believe in talking about politics. You know, we think a lot of the reason that we're in the situation we are with such polarization is because reasonable people have stopped talking about politics. We think you can respect all views and problem solve and learn from each other. And we both believe that the system functions better with both so- both parties at the table 
functioning well. That's sort of how it was designed. That's how we get the best solutions. And we decided to end season one with the conventions that we both attended. And I do want to clarify really quick. Somebody asked me this. We did not spend more at the Democratic more time at the Democratic Convention because we had some sort of preference. It's just because we got credentials for more days than we did at the Republican Convention. Exactly. So as the conventions ended and the general election has officially begun, we thought we would start a new season of Pantsy Politics so that we sort of have an idea of episode length of each season. We thought this was a good natural break. So we do two episodes a week for new listeners, a longer episode on Tuesdays, a shorter episode on Fridays. On Tuesdays, our shows have three sections. The Pearls, where we briefly highlight news items of the week. The Suit, where we really dive into a bigger topic and try to flesh out our our differences and our common ground and hopefully come to some sort of consensus or way forward. And then we end on a lighter note with the heels. We usually share something personal to wrap up the show. And at the end of every Pearls, which we're using this Pearls to just sort of brief you on our show, we compliment a member of the other side. And so we thought this week we would each say something nice about the other party's convention since we just attended both. So Beth, you want to start? Sure. My favorite thing about the DNC was how many people were included who aren't famous people, who aren't politicians, people who are just impacted by political issues, who care about political issues. And I'm not even talking about, you know, we spent some time in our coverage of the DNC telling you about people who have been impacted by gun violence or police violence. That's not really what I mean. There were just some ordinary people, you know, who care about issues. There was a mom who worked several jobs and um, some kids who were affected by equal pay issues. And I just thought that was nice and sort of brought home what this is really about. And I will say at the RNC, the logistics were much better as just far as crowd control and um, crowd management Now, in defense of my party, it was a smaller crowd, but still, you know, it just didn't, it didn't feel as overwhelming. Also, big shout out to Cleveland, just because the, the way the arena is situated, it's not like you're, you know, passing this massive parking lot to get the arena. It's literally like downtown. It's a really amazing location. And so that was really great too. So we want to get right into the suit today because we advertised doing a little Ask Sarah and Beth and y'all responded. Woo! Did you? Did you ever? (laughs) We have a lot of questions is what we're trying to get at here. So we'll start with Mandy Lee. She says, I often get confused when I see polls on TV or cited on the internet because it seems like you can always find a poll that sways the way you want depending on your point of view. Understanding that all polls should be taken with a grain of salt, is it best to pick one poll and only look at those results? What polls do you guys usually look at, if any? Let's let's play a fun game. Beth, can you guess my answer? Uh, Sarah's going to say 538. <laughs> you don't read polls, y'all. You just listen to whatever Nate Silver says. You don't have to read them. He'll read them for you. It's great. So I really like real clear politics because you can see all of the different polls and get averages. And that's where I like to go. I think The Pollsters is a good podcast. I know uh, one of our listeners, Debbie, mentioned that in the comments on Mandy's question. That's a good way to learn. If you're like really into polling and want to understand in a very kind of wonky way, like what happens with polling, that's a great podcast to go to. Um, for me, I like to check out Real Clear Politics when I when I really care about the numbers because 
because I like seeing different polls because I agree with you. I mean, it, it is you can find numbers that support just about any conclusion that you want. So watching the numbers over a period of time and from multiple sources is what I like to do. Well, and I read 538 because I really trust, I've read Nate Silver's book, The Signal and the Noise, and he talks about, you know, basically distinguishing between all the polls coming in and really what they're saying. And they have a very active, largely accurate really the I think he missed one senate race in 2012 and of course Michigan which everybody missed in fairness um in this primary but they do a really good job of averaging the polls they have a model that they use depending on the size of I mean because there's just so many factors how how many people did they pull how did they pull those people like how good have these polls been in the past? And their model takes all those factors into consideration and creates this sort of prediction based on that. Because truthfully, I'm not a person, you know, I could never work at 538. I don't really want to go into the particulars of each poll. I don't care that much and I don't like numbers. But I love the idea of like somebody looking at them all and telling me what they sort of the doing the analysis for me and telling me what they're saying. And that's why I love 538. And 538 does do a good job of reminding you that national polling doesn't mean a lot in the presidential race. And I think we can lose that because national polling Mm -hmm. is exciting to watch. It's exciting for the media to report on. But it really is pretty meaningless other than sort of what's the mood, what's the vibe, what's the media telling you. You really need to dig into the Electoral College. And I do think 538 does a nice job of kind of refocusing you on what numbers are actually going to matter in November. So our next question is from Ashley. She says, I have engaged with a particular Facebook friend, thought I have many who share the same sentiment, who states that I am wasting my vote because I support a third-party candidate. They also state it's awfully white privilege to think I can afford to vote for a third-party candidate to prove a point. Mind you, I'm supporting the third-party candidate because I would like to see them in office. But if one person calls me stupid, if one more person calls me stupid because I'm voting for a third party, I think I'll lose it. Can you tell I'm losing my nuance here? Supporters on both sides are saying I'm voting for the for the other disaster by casting my voice the way I want, trying to channel my inner Sarah and Beth and failing miserably. Help! Beth, this is all you. Ashley, I feel you. So uh, this is a conversation that I have a lot because, as I've said on the show, I am inclined to support Gary Johnson. The first thing that I feel, and I've said this before, is I don't think any vote is wasted. It's just what are you trying to accomplish with your vote? And for me, I feel a real sense of conflict in this election uh, because... I really line up in terms of viewpoints with Gary Johnson. There are very few issues where I part ways with his stated position. So he's a good candidate for me. On the other hand, if we get into late October and this feels like a close race, I will vote against Donald Trump and vote for Hillary Clinton in that way. If it looks like Gary Johnson doesn't get any traction, you know, that's when I will shift away from sort of the vote my conscience, vote my values into more of a strategic vote. But I'm not saying that everyone has to do that. And and I think it is unfair to tell anyone what to do with their vote. You know, I was having a conversation with someone I love today who is open to voting for Trump in that close scenario that I just described, because this person sees Hillary Clinton the way I see Donald Trump. Like, that's just a vote I can't cast. 
And what I realized is I have to step back from this and respect that that person has just as much right to feel that way as I have to feel my way about it. And my goal shouldn't be to convince anyone to use their vote in the way I think a vote should be used. It should just be to understand them and have them understand me. So that's part of what I would say. Look, I'm not trying to convince you to do anything with your vote. I don't know why you're so invested in what I do with mine. Here's why I support this third-party candidate. Now, I don't love voting for the third-party candidate in sort of a protest way. Again, that's that's your right to do it if that's what you want to do. But it sounds like Ashley, like me, has found a third-party candidate that like she wants to vote for. And I do think that's sort of a different thing than just the system's broken. I hate everything. I'm going to write in, you know, Beyonce. Well, here is the only nuance I would offer to this, Ashley. What I sort of forget and my husband and I were talking about is people who are very passionate about third party, but not voting third party could, I don't know how old you are, could have a very bad taste in their mouth left from, I guess, what it was, that 2004. So, you know, Al Gore won the popular vote. The Electoral College was down to Florida. The vote was too tight. And because the voting was tight, the Supreme Court stepped in. There was hanging chads. Wikipedia did it. But the vote, the, the Supreme Court shut off voting, and the presidency went to George Bush. There's a pretty strong argument if, the people who had voted for Ralph Nader because they didn't think Al Gore was progressive enough had voted for Al Gore. It wouldn't have been close and Al Gore would have been president and not George Bush. So always remember, I think too, it's as offering that sort of nuanced past perspective that some people were sort of traumatized by that and might be carrying um, a very uh, bitter idea about third party votes and listen i was a nader supporter i loved ralph nader i did not vote for him though because you know al gore's better than george bush in my opinion but so i i think that that gets lost that was not that it you know a lot of people don't have memories of that but it really wasn't that long ago and some people are still traumatized so that might be why some people are so passionate with about it and similarly going even farther back there are people who have a bitter taste left by Ross, Ross Perot. Perot. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that perspective but but another thing i would offer is that until more people are willing to go down the path that others say is futile we won't have that path so you do have to think about the continuation of that effort you know Ross Perot seemed to be sort of a peak and then third parties went into decline again if we really want that other option what do we do so my position right now and I posted a little kind of note on Twitter about this today I am supporting Gary Johnson through October like I'm I plan to contribute to his campaign I plan to volunteer for his campaign and tell other people about it if I am polled, I certainly am going to say that I support Gary Johnson because I very much want him on the debate stage. And that's kind of a nice segue to where we're going next with these questions. But then I'm going to look at the numbers and the reality and see what's actually going on closer to election time and make my final decision then. So Brett asks us what we think would happen if Gary Johnson and Jill Stein were part of the debates. Do we think that either would be able to gain some traction uh, or would it be just kind of interesting but not really impactful? Sarah, what do you think about that? Well, should we say a, a side note about Trump and the debates currently before we talk about 
oh, I hate making everything revolve around Donald Trump. But in a way, it does. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, this whole election is a referendum on Donald Trump. That's where we are at this point. And so I feel like bringing in more voices, I don't, I don't know if that is, if that helps or hurts him. Because I sort of feel like it, as much as I love the idea of another person up there, I don't think that would ever be a bad thing. There's a part of me that's like, eh, I don't know. I don't want anything to deflect from her slaying him, which I think we should, we can all agree is most likely what will happen just because hashtag Hillary is Hermione. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I, that's a tough one for me. I think it's possible that Gary Johnson could do well in a debate and, and at least get into the 20s. Because I think so many people, if you just talk to people in life, you hear a lot of socially progressive, fiscally conservative. And that is the message that Gary Johnson is trying to hammer away at. And he's just having trouble getting enough exposure for it. So I think it could move him forward. How much forward? I don't know. But as you know, we um, are Twitter friends with this account, Sarcastic Libertarian. And as that account pointed out today... You know, if Johnson took a couple states, it's possible that no one gets to 270 no. in the Electoral College. And then we have a whole new ball game in terms of the process. And you can go back to one of our primers on elections for a little bit more detail about what would happen in that scenario. That's sort of a fun thought exercise, maybe a frightening thought exercise. It could matter for him, I think, to be on the stage because he has views that I think would appeal to so many people, especially people who aren't pleased with either option right now. Jill Stein, I think, has a real ceiling. And I'm not sure what happens in a debate with Jill Stein other than her just lighting Hillary Clinton on fire in a way that maybe undermines her cause ultimately. That's and I admit my bias in that like mm. I I like that the Green Party does its thing and I have a lot of respect for the beliefs that motivate that party. I feel like the Stein campaign has taken a lot of the ugliness that was starting to develop with some of the Bernie or Bust people to sort of a whole new level of ugliness. So it, it's hard for me to see how that would have a tremendous, at, le at least productive impact. Yeah, I, I'm sort of through with Jill Stein. Apparently she's, she's a doctor, but she's anti-vaccine. She lost me there. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. 
We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box. Salon grade tools. Your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. Let's go on to a voice message now from Kendra in North Carolina. She is talking to us again about unhappiness with the two nominees in the Supreme Court. Hi, Beth and Sarah. My name's Kendra. Um, I live in North Carolina. I'm a new listener to the podcast, and I love it. I've been telling everybody I know to listen. Um, I have a question for you guys. I need your help. Um, I am a Republican who's going to be voting for Hillary, and um, proudly. And um, my problem, though, is there are a lot of people that I know who are Republicans who um, refuse to vote for her simply because of the Supreme Court nomination. They um, say they agree that Donald Trump is going to be a terrible president, but they don't seem to care enough. Um, to counteract what they think the damage will be by having Supreme Court justices that are nominated by President Hillary Clinton. And I disagree with it. I don't always know what to say to, like, try to convince them. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe convincing isn't going to happen. But, like, I just would love to hear um, y'all's take on on that whole dilemma of Republicans. If that's, if that's the reason that they're going to vote for Donald Trump, it just seems like, a really terrible reason to me, but I would love to have a little bit of input if you guys wouldn't mind talking about it. Again, love your show. Love, love, love your show. It's such a breath of fresh air. You do such a great job. So thank you for taking the time to do it. Take care. So I guess my beef with this, particularly on the Donald Trump side, is you have no idea what type of justices Donald Trump would appoint. 
Like, just no idea. I know he put out a list, quote unquote, but he is a he is a wild card every day and all the time. So I guess my problem with that is you don't know. You think it would be better, but you have no idea. I agree with that. The other thing I have said about this, I mean, I do think, look, you're going to hear this from a lot of Republicans because it's the best play they have. I don't think, while Supreme Court vacancies are critically important, and the court has a major role in shaping the future of the country, and unfortunately, that role seems to continue to grow. I say unfortunately because I would love to just have a functioning Congress um, so that some of these things happen in a in a less in a, in a less sort of judicially active way. Mm-hmm. Um, that that role is going to continue to grow, I think. So the the polarization on the court is a big issue. Setting that off to the side, I do want to say that like the president has a number of decisions to make with consequences as lasting as Supreme Court vacancies. So these are lifetime appointments. It's a big deal. It can shape the court for a generation, as people in the Republican Party are fond of saying. The way that we use drones can shape the world for a generation. The wars that we enter or don't enter can shape the world for a generation. So to me, the Supreme Court is one of a number of crucial decisions the president has to make. And that's what I would focus people in on. Look, if you really care about the future of the court, that that's important and I hear you. I also really care about America standing in the world. I, and to the to the people that you're talking to who sound like conservatives, you know, I might highlight the decision in Syria for President Obama's administration to first declare that there's this red line and then second to do nothing about it when that red line was crossed. You know, I think that's an example that might appeal to conservatives to say, look, that has real lasting consequences for our country for a very long time. What the Supreme Court does, you know, we can deal with long term. Those decisions can be reshaped going down the road. Congress can act sometimes in ways that at least get the issues back in front of the court. Some of what the president decides is literally life or death for lots and lots of people on the foreign policy scale. And so I think you have to weigh that as well. And that's where I see Donald Trump as the loosest of cannons. And so in addition to not trusting what he has said he'd do on the the judicial appointment front, I don't trust him to make those foreign policy calls. Can I just say something else? I have not forgotten that the current Senate refuses to hear, have any hearings or meetings with Eric, with what is his name? Merrick Mm -hmm. Garland. That's bananas. We've all sort of lost sight of that. It is bananas. And that's also a great point because there is some check on the Supreme Court appointment power. You know, the president does have to have the advice and consent of the Senate. There are other exercises of presidential power particularly with as it relates to foreign policy, that have gone virtually unchecked. Now, that's partially because our Congress has refused to authorize the use of military force because I think people don't want to be in the position of casting those votes again. You know, they don't want to make tough calls and have them come back to haunt them. But I think you have to really focus on, like, the Supreme Court in the context of all presidential authority. So our next question is from Keeley. 
She says, I also have a third-party candidate question. The biggest debates I'm getting in lately are those with people who are in the both sides are evil camp and so are voting third-party to make a statement. I fully agree with them that having only two real options is limiting our political process, but I can't help but feel the stakes of this election are too big. So my question is, what do you two see as the likely impact of these voters sticking third-party in their vote? And what can I possibly offer as alternatives to using this vote to just say, I hate Hillary for those people who see the system as broken? Well, I would say that I don't know what I would say it's so hard it's hard to not know with exactly why people every person's motivation you know I'm starting to just send everybody to um the con family's video from the DNC because I just think it's such a good argument for why there's more at stake I also think you know Ezra Klein has this really great thing right now where this is not about partisan politics you don't have a Democrat and Republican you have a normal political party function as it's supposed to and an abnormal political environment and sort of situation with Donald Trump and so you know that's what I try to say like you know what I find myself saying a lot is you're not voting Republican because Donald Trump isn't a Republican and you're voting for someone that we have has no experience and we have no idea what they will do and I think Hillary's elevator pitch in her speech is a good one which is you know not everybody loves me, but you know that I'm obsessed with the details. And when it comes down to it, when it's your child, don't you want somebody that sweats the details as opposed to somebody who can't be bothered with them? But it's it's sort of hard. You kind of have to get at what every individual person's currency is when having these conversations. I think I would also talk to people about the three branches of government and how your vote at the top of the ticket doesn't dictate the rest of your votes on the ticket. And, and so... For me, if I think about the president as an executive, you know, I mentioned in one of our episodes previously an interview with Yuval Levin, who talked about how George W. Bush really was a good executive. He understood that the president um, is is fundamentally the manager of lots and lots and lots of people, and that those people are doing their jobs and when the call gets to the president, it's an impossible call. And if it weren't, you know, people would have made that call somewhere beneath the president. I love that when he says if it was an easy decision, somebody would have dealt with it before. Exactly. So I think that if you think about the president as an executive position, which it really should be, and then you think about Congress as the place where a legislative agenda happens, that makes me more comfortable with a Hillary Clinton presidency and a commitment on my own part to vote Republican down the rest of the ballot, because I think a divided government with a with a functional executive, someone as competent and, and as experienced and, and with a proven track record of working with Republicans on issues, I, I feel better about that. So that's something I think you could offer up. But again, I wouldn't get really invested mm-hmm. in changing anyone's minds because it's just a pathway to being upset And I think the most persuasive arguments are those that aren't really um, in your face trying to persuade. You know, when I started working at a law firm, my writing got edited all the time to remove adverbs and adjectives because um, I was trying to so forcefully make a case. And what kept coming back to me was like, you're trying so hard that it's not persuasive. What you need to do is just state the facts, just simple declarative sentences. Here's what is and let the judge or the opposing party or whomever your audience is reach the conclusion based on the way you've laid everything out. 
And I think when we have these conversations about who we're voting for, we need to be more in that style. Definitely. It's hard. Okay, then we heard from someone named Beth, who says, I'm struggling with a lot of things in this election, but as a middle school teacher who has remained a neutral voice in political discussions in the past, I have found myself actually telling my students who I don't support because I just can't in good conscience remain neutral when a candidate like Donald Trump might become president. So my question to you is, how do I have a productive class discussion with students in this election season, especially when so often kids just parrot their own parents' views? So I had a lot of experience with this when, now, in fairness, I was teaching community college, so I had older teenagers than middle school kids. But what I always, you know, I was pretty unapologetic. I was honest about my political beliefs. But when we would, I, I, the first thing I always said is, You will get a better grade in my class if you argue passionately and with um, facts to back up what you have to say than if you just agree with me. And that's true. Several semesters, the kid that got the best, I mean, there were early kids, young adult that got the best grade was someone who was very conservative. So, you know, when I had these conversations in class and they were about very specific issues, it was always, you know, I was presenting evidence. I wasn't just standing up there and being like, this is why I think this is right. If we were talking about tort reform, I was, you know, we were watching hot coffee and we were talking about what the the facts presented in that movie and sort of debating those. Or if we would watch, one of my favorite ones was always when we would talk about um, gay marriage, I would show this video of Ted, oh, who was George Bush's solicitor general? Ted Olson, is that right? Um, Talking, because he him and a Democrat defended the case, defended the, or argued against uh, proposition, oh, I can't remember the number, in California. Anyway, but it was sort of, you know, I like to use, when talking to, to kids in particular, I think it's always super helpful to sort of twist what they, sort of use interesting new facts to twist their assumptions. So, you know, I would use a Republican defending gay marriage, or I would use a, uh, the hot coffee movie is just amazing because everybody thinks this poor McDonald's lady was full of crap and she deserved every cent of that money. But um, just stuff like that, I think it's always helpful to sort of say, to present it in an interesting and new way instead of, you know, just parrot back the lines they've probably, the opposition lines they've heard a million times before. Beth, I like that you are disclosing who you yeah, support. Yeah, I think that's the way to go I, I think- for sure you can do that in a way that you know respects opposing viewpoints i i feel like that's how you teach them not to just parent parrot back what their parents are saying but to to say here's why i am where i am and and i also might borrow a page from hillary clinton here we talked um in our last episode about how hillary clinton got a question from a student about bullying and her response was can you tell me why that's on your mind i think that's a great question and a and a good way to approach this in a classroom setting so if you hear things that sound like oh your dad said that you know i think just continuing to push can you say more about that can you tell me why that's on your mind and really getting people to articulate why they are where they are and then recognizing this is something I just a constant refrain for me recognizing that ultimately the way you vote comes down to what your priorities are and how you prioritize one issue over another and I don't think it's a bad thing at all for you to say to your students look I've prioritized 
X, Y, and Z. And that leads me to the conclusion that I have to vote for Hillary Clinton or that I cannot vote for Donald Trump, however you want to say it. But I think that talking about it in terms of priorities really backs out of this like apocalyptic or moralistic component, you know, (laughs) because as a parent, you know, I think I would be pretty comfortable with a teacher talking to my child about politics and saying, look, here are all of the issues that are on the table. I've personally prioritized these. You should think about which ones you prioritize and why. Absolutely. I agree. So Nancy asked us about, oh, the best political platform, Facebook. She says, I started a multi-partisan civil discourse group on Facebook inspired by y'all. One question that has garnered a lot of discussion is basically why vote in the presidential election, especially if you're not in a swing state. There have been comments about votes not mattering because of the electoral college system, as well as comments about not voting because the whole system is rigged, being run by big money and big political parties. I'm paraphrasing here, but you get the idea. I would love to take your thoughts on this back to the group. Uh, My first thought is... Because people sacrificed a lot, including their lives, to get you the right to vote. And so the least you can do is exercise it. That's my first immediate reaction. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you.
want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I have that same reaction. I cannot imagine not voting. I really can't. And I understand the Electoral College being discouraging, but I would say if you look at Sarah's favorite, 538 right now, you know, Nate Silver has this election at 50-50 probability. So I think every state could count in this election. And even if it didn't, the president is not the only mm-hmm. race And a lot of the action is below the president on the ballot. And you need to get out and vote in those races. And and I also think that when you don't vote, what are you saying? Is that because it, it doesn't allow you to say anything that moves the discourse forward. All it signals is apathy and disengagement. And what do you think you're going to get out of apathy Mm -hmm. and disengagement? It reminds me of Einstein's, you know, insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Apathy and disengagement by people who are unhappy with their options in this election is why we got here. And I put myself in that category. You know, I haven't been politically active enough. And I think that moderates who haven't been politically active enough are part of the problem. And so we, we have to vote. And however you use that vote, it's up to you. But you got to go do well, it. Well, and also, I'm sorry, there's nothing that says that your vote is going to decide something one way or the other. I mean, when when you're assured the right to vote, it's not the right to vote in, only in elections where things are close and every single vote counts. I mean, like, I don't really get that. Like, you're not entitled to the most you know, impactful vote every time. That's not what it's about. It's about participating. And, you know, and I think the down ballot is an excellent point because really it can, I mean, we have had races in Paducah that you're talking about, we had a city commission race that was made up by one vote or like six votes. They're very close. And to think that, you know, the president is the only thing that matters or that you have some right to, like I said, have an impactful vote on every election every single time is absurd. That's not what it's about. It's about participating in your democracy because that is a gift and that is a privilege that many, many people all over the world do not have. I've been in choirs my whole life. And so the analogy that comes to me is, you know, singing in the choir matters even when you don't have a Mm. solo. And, And I think that's what we need to think about in terms of our participation. So we have lots more of these questions. We're going to do another Ask Beth and Sarah edition. So if you have more questions for us, send them on, and we'll try to cover 
even more uh, political advice, which I love advice, and I didn't even know that this is my favorite kind of advice to give until now. So next up, we're going to talk about an interesting experience that Beth and I had while at the Democratic National Convention in Philly. We were struggling to squeeze anything in in Philadelphia. We are so bummed that we couldn't get a listener meetup together. The logistics of this whole thing were just really difficult. But we did manage to get one treat in to celebrate Sarah's birthday. Um, and Beth's inclusion in the 40 under 40 list in Northern Kentucky's. Is it the Northern Kentucky Business Journal, Beth? It's the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Business, Business Journal. Mm-hmm. Very fancy. Um, so... My friend Jessica is the first person that told me about this. It's floating. You go in these tanks with about 10 inches of water and like 1,000 pounds of salt. That's not even me being hyperbolic, which we know I'm prone to. It's literally 1,000 pounds of salt. And you float in sort of sensory deprivation. Your ears are plugged. It is dark. Um, the water is the temperature of your body. And so you float like, like the Dead Sea. Um, for an hour and a half. Now, we found out later this was a long period of time. My friend Jessica's place only allows you to do up to 60 minutes the first time, but we did the whole hour and a half. Um, Beth was such a good sport. I was like, I really want to do this. I can't get it in Paducah. What do you think? She's like, sounds great. We were, we were, ready, we were about ready for some sensory deprivation, though, after several days at a convention. Yeah, just the prospect of like being silent for a while was really appealing to me, one of our listeners. So we didn't. In an earlier episode, we revealed that we're both kind of into personality testing. And one of our listeners said, you're an INFJ. Like, how did you handle the conventions? Were you on overload, especially with the Democrats and all the emotion? And yes, I was. And so uh, being in a tank in the dark, in the quiet for about 90 minutes, I was I was cool with that. So I got in the tank. It took me a while to get situated. Uh, Insider tip, if you decide to do this, Beth and I both discovered that the best way is to put your arms sort of like somebody's, like you're in a stick up. Because when I first got in there, it just felt like my shoulders were in my ears and I couldn't get them to relax. But then when I put my arms up, I was able to really sort of relax into the float. And you had a similar experience. I did. Um, The other thing I would say about it is, like, I went in thinking, oh, I got this. Like, I'm just going to get right in there and be so zen and just meditate. Because, you know, I do yoga. I teach yoga. Like, I felt like this would be really easy for me, and I found it very challenging. I enjoyed it, but it was not like I just got in and settled in and was in, like, a 90-minute shavasana. I really kind of struggled with how do I do this? How do I get comfortable? How do I sort of relax? Um, Once I did, I enjoyed it, but I did move my arms a lot. I also had this idea that like I needed to be completely still immediately. And the more I sort of let myself move around, the more I enjoyed it. So once I got my arms up and my shoulders relaxed, I really did relax. In fact, I fell asleep a couple times, which is super weird. Also weird, like clenching every muscle and sort of stretching out while still floating is a super weird trans like sensation but my thing my time went really fast I fell asleep the only problem was I fell asleep and so my body temperature dropped and I started getting really cold by the end but 
for me, it was funny. Like, in my head, I was just like, it's going by too fast. I'm going to waste all my good thinking time. Like, I was trying to, like, be productive with my meditative time. <laughs> like, you need to really solve some shit while you're in here, Sarah. Get on it. And I was, like, stressing, <laughs> stressing about this time. All this time I had, like, I was like, hurry up and get get things situated and solved. This is your This is your moment. Don't waste it. Unfortunately, I was way too sleep deprived to, to solve anything. Well, what I did mentally was like, Beth, you're not supposed to be thinking. Beth, you should be totally relaxed by now. Beth, why aren't you asleep? Like, <laughs> Beth, why are you being so stressful about this? And I, so I did not fall asleep. And I got really, really hot. Like, I got out a little bit early. They play music at the end to get you out. And I just got out before the music. Because I was getting really stressed about that. Like, is it almost over? It has to almost be over. I'm so hot. Like, and you can't touch your face. So I had, like, sweat running down my face. And you can't touch your face because the water is so salty. That they told us, like, it would get crusty on your face and could really irritate your eyes. And I didn't want to do that. So I finally was like, Beth, you're a grown-up. Like, if you want to get out, just get out. (laughs) And so I did. And what I enjoyed the most, honestly, though, was, like, getting in the shower afterward. And then once we started walking around, that's when I realized it did a lot of good in my body. Like, my muscles really started to release the most after getting out of the tank. And my friend Jessica, so it's um, magnesium sulfate. Is that right? I don't know. I have no idea. Or just magnesium. She says we're all deficient. And so it's like really important and it's help and it's really helpful. And I really, as we were like walking to lunch, I just felt like I was melting into the sidewalk. Like every muscle I had was just like, I felt like I looked like one of those Salvador Dolly clocks, like just sort of melting where I stood, which was amazing. Of course, then we went to the convention and she was like, you're going to reach peak relaxation six to seven hours from now and I was like well that should be right around the time Barack Obama comes on stage so that'll work out great well and we went back to our bodies being like folded into like less than 90 degree angles in these (laughs) miserable seats so it was a really nice break mentally and physically for us so I would I would do it again I would definitely do it again I wish I could the guy at the studio said he does it once a week which is in sort of intense but I would definitely I would love to do it again my friend Jessica's been going pretty regularly and she loves it so yeah I would do it again I feel like I would get better at it you know, like I would be able to relax more quickly and be able to find comfort, comfort more quickly. So, yeah, now I that know. I know this hands over the head thing, I'd be all about it. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. You can visit our website, PantsuitPoliticsShow.com, to learn more about us, read our blog, sign up to receive Pantsuit Politics directly to your inbox. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Pantsuit Politic. And until Friday's episode, keep it nuanced, y'all.